the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 230 for October 24th, 2010. The quarterly earnings are in and the results look good. Sprint is finally getting some style and the science behind the correlation of cell phones and cancer. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked, more information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application for the iOS, now available in the iTunes store for $1.99. Well, first this week, we've got a couple of reviews to discuss. First off, designed with consumers in mind, the ZBoost 1 Signal Booster extends service throughout your home or office and up to four different devices that use either Sprint or Metro PCS. The ZBoost 1 provides up to 1,200 square feet of additional coverage, all through a one-unit design. It's the first of its kind from YX and actually syncs with the device to reduce dropped calls and increase call quality. It's available from YX for $250. Now, one thing I will say about the ZBoost 1 is that it really doesn't get much easier to install a signal booster than this. It's an all-in-one unit. The only variable is, of course, the wall outlet. You take that plug it into the wall, set the box on your windowsill, and it retransmits either that Sprint or Metro PCS signal with virtually zero configuration. It takes about three minutes to get it all set up. And this is really how a signal booster should work. I was pretty impressed. It took me a little bit to figure out the best place for Sprint signal in my house, but but since then, um, I've found myself with much better service. I've got parts of my house now that have um, basically five bars everywhere, and this is something that I've never seen. Usually, I'm switching between um, EVDO and the 1X. So, Joey, I, I don't know. I have to I have to give it to ZBoost for this one because they really blew away my expectations for a two hundred and fifty dollar um, you know signal booster. This is this is a great one. It's only twelve hundred square feet, so don't expect it to cover uh, an entire office or warehouse or anything like that. But if you've got that one bad area, maybe it's your basement or one ha- part of your house. This is really going to help. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes against the logic of. A signal booster having just you know one antenna on one side of the device and uh you know the retransmission antenna on the other side because they're in such close proximity but obviously there's some sort of uh probably lead barrier or something you know some good uh, barrier between the two to keep them from feeding back on each other um but uh, that's very interesting that would account for the the smaller square footage too because if it was amplified too far it would of course feed back on itself but uh yeah it's got a very very simple device yeah, no oscillation at all, and it 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 always seemed to to work. Honestly, um, I don't make a ton of calls, but you know, I I do uh, get a lot of calls, and so when I as I've been using this here over the past week and a half, it's it's been pretty impressive. I've actually done some videos with it as well, so you can see actually what it does, and it's not just showing how many more bars you have. I actually dig in and on the BlackBerry show the um, you know the the dBm level as I go from over a hundred negative a hundred. Uh, dbm and it goes uh to around in the 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 mid 80 range uh when i'm using this and it's that's pretty good and it's it stays anywhere somewhere around you know negative 90 throughout my entire house which is is great because like i said without it i'm in the negative 100 range and so again it's it's a pretty simple configuration and for those that are looking for like i said a small area now 1200 square feet that is I'll just say probably the max that you're going to see. I, I'm probably closer to a thousand square feet is where I'm I'm seeing the benefits of this one. Um, and and 
certainly too, this is because of the dual antennas and the design. Uh, there are certain parts of it that are kind of um, in an umbrella area where they're not seeing enhanced, uh, you know, enhanced coverage to the the sides of it. So if you're directly off to the left or to the right of the antenna, it's not going to work great. But if you're somewhere in that cone shape that goes out from from it inside the house, then you're going to be okay. So anyway, so really cool. Uh, and a nice product there from YX. Next up is the AT&T BlackBerry Torch. Announced in August of 2010, RIM set out to change how consumers traditionally looked at the BlackBerry handset. With launch partner AT&T, the Torch 9800 built on the already powerful full QWERTY keyboard of the more conservative Bold and added to it a sliding capacitive touchscreen display. On top of the new hardware is a redesigned BlackBerry OS 6 operating system, bringing a host of upgrades to provide a richer media experience and a reasonable web browser to the device. While what's new may not be able to keep up with the spec race happening on competing smartphone platforms, BlackBerry 6 really keeps the same great BlackBerry experiences and polishes them to a nice shine. The BlackBerry Torch 9800, available from AT&T for $200 on contract. Now, a number of the items that the Torch does well and the vast improvements over the prior versions of the OS that BlackBerry 6 brings to the table really make it a clear choice for the hardcore BlackBerry user. If you're looking to upgrade, there really is no other choice than this one. Though, having used multiple BlackBerrys over the past five years myself, I'm not convinced that the sliding form factor is going to be for everyone, especially those that are, are not BlackBerry users right now. Um, also, with the spec race that's, like I said, heating up on the other platforms, you've got Android and Apple making huge leaps with the technology that they're putting in their phones, and it's going to take a lot of brand loyalty and constant attention for our, and software upgrades as well, of course, to keep that torch uh, from being handed off in favor of something flashier. That's that, that's really kind of how I look at this one. Um, it, it's, a, it's a fun device to play with, though, a tad big uh, in certain areas, um, but nonetheless, it was still really great. It, it was also very interesting to, to play with the operating system that I've got on my Bold and actually see it how it was intended with a touchscreen. It's a very different experience. Well, and I, I'm not sure if all BlackBerry's are going to go to the touchscreen. Uh, we we kind of thought that, uh, but now it looks like now they're going to start releasing curves without the touchscreen in the OS 6. So it looks like it's kind of supposed to be for both. And we'll see what shakes out with that, whether they start you know moving to touch screens entirely but i have a feeling we're going to keep seeing this trackpad for many years to come uh as far as the interface goes so it's kind of a a dual interface and and of course you you probably uh had maybe not so much uh tempting to touch the screen when you had the trackpad right below it so it's kind of a it's kind of like you could do it both ways which is kind of interesting to me but kind of redundant too the review is is pretty lengthy with photos, video, and uh, a lot of copy. I mean, it's I really go into things, and that that was one of them. the The whole touchscreen versus you know trackpad. What do you use? When do you use it? I felt schizophrenic sometimes. I was like trying to use the touchscreen, and I I was like, well, okay, no, no, no. Okay, I'm gonna go to the touch the trackpad now, and I'm gonna use that, and no, I'm gonna go touch the screen. I don't know. It's just there's there's two options, which I guess is good, but it, it made me feel a little. Um, you know, anxious about using it at times. Yeah. And of course, probably, you know, partially depending on the application too, it may be some of a, you know, somewhat of a cop out as well. Well, let's not go through the work of making this touch compatible. You just have to grab the touchpad to really utilize it effectively too. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's in there just because it's, you know, it's something new for BlackBerry and it's uh, most of the devices don't have a touchscreen. So probably a lot of them are, you know, a lot of applications, especially aren't designed for touchscreen, which makes it just, you know, that much more 
um, yeah, schizophrenic, like you said. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, but it is something interesting, uh, new, you know, form factor for BlackBerry and we'll see what, uh, how it shakes out in the long run. As someone who uses a BlackBerry, in fact, I use two Blackberries on a daily basis. I really wanted to to provide the most comprehensive look that I could with this one and not just be super excited about it. Because I was. When I first got it, I was like, wow, this is great. I mean, it, it, it looks good. Uh, it functions fairly well. Um, but it's a lot, of, a lot of negatives with the pros with it. And so I made sure that both of those were in there. And you're going to go ahead and read the entire review and, of course, watch the video. And you're going to see that. I mean, it was... It's it's really um, it's kind of a toss up for me on this one, and, and in the end, I don't think I will buy it. I, I think I'll stick with the bold form factor because that works better for me. Yeah, and you know, I was just going to ask you a specific question about you know how is the browser interaction with the touchscreen compared to the bold, for example? Because now we're you know running OS six on the bold as well, and and how's the browser speed in comparison? It's uh, it's good. It's a very it's a very decent browser now, and and having that full touchscreen, you hardly need to use the you know the, the keypad when you're doing browsing, of course, other than to just type in URLs. I will say it's not as responsive as I would hope. It also is. It seems like it wants you to be a little bit more specific and where you touch it versus, in, say, an Android or an iOS WebKit browser. Um, I, I use the browser on my phone a ton for reading news through Google Google Reader. And on the iOS, it's a very fluid experience. I mean, I can be very inaccurate with where I'm pressing. And I felt like when I was touching it, the screen in the browser, unless I was right on with where I wanted to be, sometimes it, it couldn't register it or it would, you know, it, it just it liked for me to be more exact than what I was. So I had a little bit of an issue with that. So actually, sometimes I found myself going back to the trackpad uh, when I was flying through news and, and reading things and then clicking red and going back to the feed and, you know, because I've got all, you know, a, a huge list of feeds that I'm going through. And so so some sometimes it was OK, but sometimes I felt like I, it was a little bit of a hindrance because um, where I was touching it. it it needed me to be more specific than I wanted to be. And so the trackpad just made it easier. But again, this is also someone who uses an iPhone on a daily basis. And I expect the screen to function like an iPhone touchscreen does. And it's, it's close, but it's not the same. And it, it was, it was one of just those like little things. And I actually called that out in the review that it was, it, it didn't quite um, meet my expectation when I was, as far as what I hoped the experience was going to be like. But the speed is very good. It loads pages nicely, especially over Wi-Fi. So all of that was great. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it just kind of seems like right now, you know, OS 6 is nice, but it seems like they may not have quite the processor power they need for it. it, it that's just my gut feel when, when I played with the Torch for a little bit. It's getting there. Um, it certainly is. It's, it's better than anything that they've had before, but um, you're right. The, the processor speed with the 624 megahertz processor in the phone, it, it may not be enough to get it by. It would have been really nice to see something around the 800 megahertz mark. We don't need the Snapdragon processor in this thing. That's for sure. It's, it's a BlackBerry. But, you know, for all of the enhancements that they're providing, richer media experience, this WebKit-based browser, it would have been great to have a little bit more horsepower under the hood. It's like... Um, and this this analogy is so bad, but because I've heard it so many times, it's like looking at a sports car and having an economy car engine under the hood, you know. And that's that's kind of the the relationship with it. So anyway, bottom line, it's a it's a decent device. I think a lot of BlackBerry users are going to really like it. 
Um, it's been out now for about two months, and, and so I was really glad that I got a chance to to spend some time with it over the past few weeks. And uh, we're going to have another device review from AT&T coming up next week as well. And finally, before the news, we talked last week about the OtterBox Impact Series case for the iPhone 4. And this week, we're going to give it away. So to enter, you head over to thecellphonejunkie.com, search for OtterBox Impact Series iPhone 4 Review, or just search for OtterBox Impact Series, and you'll find the review for the iPhone 4. This is the review that was done just a couple of weeks ago. I have done Impact Series reviews in the past, so we're talking about the recent one for the iPhone 4. Once you find it, leave a comment uh, as to why you would like to have this case, and uh, with your name by 11.59 p.m. next Saturday, October 30th, and we'll choose one person as the winner on next week's show. So if you're interested in winning an OtterBox Impact Series case for the iPhone 4, head over to the site and leave a comment on the review to enter. Hopping into the news. First off, Apple on Monday announcing their Q4 2010 quarterly earnings, reporting yet another record quarter. Highlights included revenue topping $20 billion for the first time in the company's history. The uh, amount was up sharply from the $12.2 billion from the year-ago quarter. Net quarterly profits hit $4.3 billion. Apple shipped 3.89 million Mac computers, which was an increase of 27% over the year-ago quarter iPhone sales reached 14.1 million devices. That's up 91% from the year-ago quarter. iPad sales hit 4.19 million. Apple commented on the sales of the iPhone, saying that they were extremely pleased with the 14.1 million iPhones that were sold. The iPhone revenue reached $8.82 billion, which was up 92% versus the previous quarter. And the average selling price to the carriers that they sold to was $610. The iPhone has 166 carriers in 89 countries, and they're very pleased with the response in China since the recent launch. Enterprise adoption of the iPhone 4 continues to grow. 80% of Fortune 500 companies uh, have now adopted the iPhone 4, up from 60% uh, just before the iPhone 4 launch. And the iPhone sales are very strong, but they could have sold more if the supply had been available. Also unusual for Apple in a uh, conference call was CEO Steve Jobs, who said that he couldn't resist dropping by for the call on the first $20 billion quarter ever in the company's history. He commented on the performance of the products, saying, We handily beat RIM in their last quarter. We just passed them, and we don't see them catching back up. They must move beyond their comfort zone and become a software company, and we just don't see them being successful at it. They have a high mountain ahead of them. When asked about Google, he said, Apple activates 275,000 iOS devices each day and sometimes over 300,000. Unfortunately, there is no solid data on how many Android handsets are shipped per quarter, though Gartner says 10 million in the June quarter, so we'll see whether iPhone or Android won in the most recent quarter. Discussing Google's claiming that Android is open, Jobs said, We find this disingenuous. Android is fragmented. He quoted Twitter Deck, probably meaning Tweet Deck, revealing that it had con- had to contend with over 100 different versions of Android in developing the application, compared to Apple with just two different versions. Also, Amazon, Vodafone, and Verizon have announced or announced creating their own Android app stores, a mess for users and developers. Contrast with Apple's integrated app store, even if Google was right, Open doesn't always win over closed. See Microsoft's plays for sure system that when they were that they were forced to scrap. 
Google flirted with an integrated approach with the Nexus One, and Google claims a smokescreen for what is best for its consumers. Integrated or fragmented, we believe integrated will trump fragmented every time users and developers will agree. Finally, Jobs commented on the avalanche of tablets heading to the market, saying that there would be just a handful of credible entrants. Quoting Jobs, almost all use 7-inch screens compared to the iPad's nearly 10 inches. 7 inches is only 45% as large as the iPad screen, Hold an iPad in portrait view and draw a horizontal line halfway down. That's what's left as a 7-inch screen. It's too small. There are clear limits on how to, to choose elements that can be seen on the screen before users can touch accurately. We believe 10 inches is the minimum necessary. All of the tablets are using Android, but Google is telling them Freyo isn't, nearly, isn't ready yet and that they should be waiting until next year before they release them. Even with smaller, less expensive screens, competitors are having a hard time matching the iPad's pricing. We have tons of experience in design. We've designed everything on ours. The 7-inch tablets will be dead on arrival. Then manufacturers will learn the painful lesson and abandon them for longer, larger sizes next year, abandoning customers and developers. That's very possible what, you're, what he's referring to about the you know, Froyo, the Android OS being for a tablet. It's not really designed for that. It's designed for smartphones. What he's referring to is the Chrome OS that's coming here very shortly it sounds like it may be out within a month or so we'll be seeing the the first releases of chrome and that's supposed to be the kind of the the netbook slash tablet operating system that's basically a web browser and that's kind of what it's going to give you where it's going to be very very basic and probably very fast and you know the argument about seven inch screen that's it's a valid argument but i think there's going to be a lot of people that like a seven inch screen but Seven inches is pretty small, especially if you're going to be interacting with just your fingers. And I will say that I've seen the seven inch Galaxy tab, and I think the size is fine. Honestly, I, I but then again, I'm not probably not the target uh, user for tablets. So maybe it's just because I think it's, it's a great size to carry around. And actually, what he did not mention was the weight. And the weight is a big deal. And that was one of the, the big things, the Achilles heel for me with the iPad. Yeah, and when I used your iPad, Mickey, the the weight was just, I thought it was a horrible. I mean, I, I didn't like that thing at all because it was just, it was way too heavy to hold on to. I mean, it, it, it I mean they're like, oh, turn this into an e-reader, read a book on this thing. It's like, n- no, I, I, I can't hold it for more than, you know, a minute and a half. Why am I going to want to read a book on this thing? And I'm sure if we were to ask anyone from Apple, they would just say that we're holding it wrong, but... Either way, a podcast version of the earnings call is available through the iTunes store by searching for earnings. Nokia on Thursday announced its third quarter earnings, beating most analyst expectations. The company reported 529 million euros in net income, 110.4 million devices sold at an average selling price of 65 euros, 3.2 million devices in North America, and 11.6 million devices sold in Latin America, which was a 20% increase year over year. Cricket on Monday announced nationwide 3G access for customers using roaming agreements with various carriers around the country. Customers using the Sanyo, Zio, Huawei Ascend, and BlackBerry Curve 8530 will be able to use their devices across most of the country. The Cricket network now covers 280 million pops with expanded roaming coverage uh, in its midst. So there you go. If you're interested in uh, purchasing Cricket, if you've got the service in your area, you can now buy it and use it nearly anywhere in the country. In the latest report from the New America Foundation for Open Technology Initiative on cell phone plan costs, the U.S. and Canada have the highest monthly costs. 
India, and Hong Kong are the lowest. The results are a comprehensive uh, are a comprehensive plan that includes voice, text, and data, and considered to be the minimum cost for a consumer in that country. Running down the chart, the most expensive is Canada at sixty-seven dollars and fifty cents. In the U.S., at fifty-nine dollars and ninety-nine cents. Finland at number three at forty dollars and ten cents. Those of you in the U.K., you rank number seven at thirty-two dollars and forty cents. And uh, in the la- the last two positions, like I said, Hong Kong and India. Hong Kong at thirteen dollars and fifty cents. India at twelve dollars and ninety cents. It also should be noted that the countries with the lowest rates are based on a pay-per-use scenario and take certain averages into account. So that is another reason that they are lower than those of us here in Canada and the U.S. Well, PhoneScoop had an article this week regarding a report published by the FCC on the Spectrum Capacity Crunch. The report, titled Mobile Broadband, the Benefits of Additional Spectrum, provides an analysis of the current spectrum situation and how the growth of broadband will affect its availability. The conclusion by the commission is that the spectrum deficit will reach 300 megahertz in the next five years due to a 35 times growth of the high-speed data networks. They also believe that the growth and demand will pass the technology's capability to keep up. And finally, the increased demand will raise the value of the spectrum over $100 billion and that the government needs to start taking steps to free up that spectrum needed in the very near future. Another first for the iPhone this week, as Strategy Analytics reported, uh, Apple passed RIM in overall shipments in the third quarter of the year. According to the report, overall global smartphone shipments topped 77 million, of which Apple sent out 14.1 million devices, and RIM shipping only 12.1 million. Nokia still remains the global leader, sending out 26.5 million devices in the three-month period. While it may not be a topic the average phone user thinks about, PC World points out that neither LTE nor WiMAX are truly 4G technologies. According to the International Telecommunication Union Radio Communication Sector, also known as the ITUR, they really have a four, to really have a 4G network, you're going to need either an LTE Advanced or Wireless MAN Advanced network. When questioned about the recent submissions by the ITUR, Verizon spokesperson Jeffrey Nelson said that the ITU's current tech- technical definition in no way affects our plans to launch the world's first large-scale LTE network later this year. We're all about real people using actual products and services. And of course, for purposes of their submissions, the ITU sets the 4G targets for networks uh, at 1 gigabit per second in low mobility situations and 100 megabits per second during high mobility. Compare this to the 5 to 12 megabits per second being touted for download speeds on the upcoming Verizon network. The actual 4G speeds are still quite a ways off. Very reminiscent of the the 3G networks uh, being uh, referred to from the 1X RTT. Uh, and that, that, of course, wasn't actually 3G either. So uh, it's kind of the same thing every time. And we talked about this uh, on an Unlock show where it seems like the, the, these next generations aren't actually the next generations. They're just kidding about the next generation because it sounds better to make it a whole number instead of some sort of intermediate step, which, of course, probably in the future, LTE uh, will maybe change its name. Uh, they won't be calling it 4G, but we'll just have to see. It, it, it's kind of silly to have a naming convention, try to name these things as certain generations, and then, of course, the companies market them as something that maybe they're not yet. It, it's really weird. As we said on the Unlock Show, let's just call them all 3.75G and call it a day. That sounds good to me. Maybe we can call <laughs> this one 3.8. 3.8G. There you go. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. The average consumer doesn't care about it. And that's what Verizon says as well. Look, we're about real people using actual products and services. That makes a lot of sense. LTE is faster than EVDO. Period. Can be faster. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Scientific American published a very interesting article this week stating that the laws of physics prove that cell phones cannot cause cancer. The writing talks about how, until now, reports suggest that, quote, not enough evidence exists to correlate brain cancer with mobile phone usage. Scientific American says that the precautionary principle is a weak argument because it is difficult to prove negative and that it raises unnecessary public alarm. The findings of a $24 million research project published in the International Journal of uh, Epidemiology took a look at the 12,000 or took a look at 12,000 long term regular cell phone users uh, in 13 different countries. Half of the users were brain cancer patients. Uh, The research concluded that overall, no increase in risk of uh, geloma or melagioma, the two most common types of brain tumors, was observed with the use of mobile phones. There were suggestions of an increased risk in geloma at the highest exposure levels, but biases and errors uh, error. Uh, prevent a casual interpretation the possible effects of long-term heavy use of mobile phones require further investigation well to this scientific american says that the application of the precautionary principle is the the wrong mistake to make cell phones cannot cause cancer because they do not emit enough energy to break the molecular bonds inside cells some forms of electromagnetic radiation such as x-rays gamma rays and ultraviolet radiation are energetic enough to break the bonds in key molecules such as dna and thereby generate mutations that lead to cancer electromagnetic radiation in the form of infrared light microwaves television and radio signals as well as ac power is too weak to break those bonds so we don't worry about tv's radios or microwave ovens or power outlets in our lives causing cancer well yeah because if they did if you took those examples of the microwave your ac lines um even you know radio waves coming from television transmissions and radio transmissions i mean you know mickey with the with a police scanner how many hundreds and hundreds of phone conversations and and you know walkie-talkie and public service and police that 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 you could pick up at any given second where you're sitting i mean you're being bombarded by hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of conversations at one second and television transmissions if that were the case and those were cancer causing we wouldn't be here because there's so much coming to us i mean it's very very low power but there there's so much in the air at any given moment still don't believe this study we're gonna get geeky here for just a second Further looking at the cell phone, known carcinogens such as X-rays, gamma rays, and UV rays have energies greater than 480 kilojoules per mole. That's enough to break a chemical bond. Green light photons hold 240 kilojoules per mole of energy, which is enough to bend but not break the molecules in our retinas that triggered our photosensitive rod cells to fire. A cell phone generates radiation of less than 0.001 kilojoules per mole. That's 48,000 times weaker than UV rays and 240,000 times weaker than green light. So that's, uh, I mean, you're, when you're talking about the amount of energy that these things, the, the kilojoules per mole, uh, it, it, it's, it seems pretty clear at this point, doesn't it? Well, and you said 48,000. It's 480,000 times me. weaker than UV rays. Yeah, 480,000 times than UV rays, 240,000 times weaker than green light. 
So you ask the question, well, what happens if you increase the power output on the phone? Well, not much. The increase in intensity just means that there are more photons, not stronger ones. So further cell phone photons cannot add up to become a UV photon and have their effect any more than a microwave photon can. Scientific American concludes that although the principle is difficult to prove negative, in this case, one can say it is impossible for cell phones to hurt the brain. With the exception, of course, of hitting someone in the head with one. So there you go. Um, if you want to read more about this, if you are still concerned or have questions about it, um, I've got a link to this this entire article here. This was a, a pretty detailed synopsis of what they had to say, though. Um, but nonetheless, if you want to read more about it, you can. And uh, again, if you believe the scientific side of it, then then this should hopefully give you some uh, some peace of mind to note that you're okay using your cell phone. Well, nearly all cell phones and radio emitting devices, for that matter, are tied to certain frequencies. XG Technology out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is in the testing phases of a network made up of base stations and handsets using a technique called cognitive radio. The system uses the unlicensed and unrestricted 900 megahertz network currently in use by household cordless phones, baby monitors, and even security cameras. By scanning the spectrum 33 times per second, it will bounce around to different unused frequencies and keep the connection alive and the current trial network has six base stations that serves about a 2.5 mile radius each which is about a hundred thousand people in the fort lauderdale area now while currently in the testing phase rick rotundo of xg says quote where a more conventional radio would see the wall see a wall of signals we were able to put our packets in between them and move around between the gaps using that method we find that even in an urban area the 900 megahertz band is really only around 15 percent occupied at any one time now i don't know that this means that we're going to see unlicensed cell phones come out anytime soon because it's it's unlikely that any of the major carriers out there are going to make the change over to it, especially with the billions they've spent in the capacity. But I could see some uh, trial networks or test networks popping up here and there as people are, are playing with the technology because it does sound pretty neat. Yeah, it does. And of course, you know, when you're doing this, now that we've got, you know, modern, real fast processors where you can adjust the spectrum that quick, this actually becomes viable. Whereas in years past, this really wouldn't have been an option. But of course, again, I see this, uh, you know, maybe beneficial in certain areas where, companies don't want to spend money to build up a spectrum network and maybe in different countries where laws and regulations are a little different maybe this is more advantageous maybe uh, and i who knows where this is actually going to come to like i said fort lauderdale is a test bed right now and uh, no words for any expansion or anything like that but just a, a proof of concept if nothing else yeah and it's, it's very interesting but uh, you know especially with our you know need for kind of reliability i don't know if this will will totally reach that uh, level yeah, that's true. Granted, they say only 15% of the spectrum is occupied at any time. Uh, it's unlicensed, and so there's there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to ha- get your phone to work when you need it to because there could be a whole bunch of people that turn on baby monitors right at the same time, or, or, or <laughs> just phones for that matter. Well, and if uh, more than one company decides to set something like this up, all of a sudden that spectrum will be you know used up. And then it'll be uh, not available anymore. So in that, of course, when you go with a license spectrum, like with, you know, any major carrier, that can't happen. That's true. Very true. Although we've been speculating about the idea of a Verizon iPhone for almost a year, the change is almost certainly on its way. Both AT&T and Verizon are working behind the scenes for the inevitable changes that are coming to their respective networks. 
First off, Bloomberg reporting that AT&T has, a, has ha- only had a few Android handsets in its lineup over the past six months. The carrier is about to jump in with both feet with three more Android-based Motorola phones and three Windows Phone 7 devices. Craig Johnson, a consultant, warns that AT&T may be risking customers with too many choices. And further, AT&T will still continue to sell the iPhone even after Verizon sales start uh, and has incentives for its sales staff to push other devices into the hands of consumers. Those specific incentives include, I think it's four devices that they're, that AT&T is saying, if you're the first person at a particular store or location to sell four devices of these new Android or Windows Phone 7 devices, you get the smartphone of your choosing. So there's going to be a big push here in the future for AT&T to sell devices other than the iPhone. Now, on the other side, Verizon and Apple may be increasing technical support staffing to hire hundreds of people in the Ryla and Teleperformance call centers in the California, Texas, and other uh, metro areas. The centers have been used in the past by both Apple and Verizon for computer, MP3, and smartphone support. The demand for a CDMA version of the iPhone 4 could reach as high as 1 million units per month, uh, meaning the need to have additional technical support for each of the companies. AT&T Vice President of Emerging Devices Tuesday told an audience at the 4G World Conference that his company thinks embedded devices will bring the U.S. wireless penetration from the 90% it sits at today to 300% by 2013. That increase will come from devices such as tablets, smartphones, and other gadgets that will have embedded 3G and 4G radios in them. With the current population of just over 310 million and growing, uh, the claim would mean that in just three years we should expect to have nearly 1 billion embedded devices wandering around our country in just three years. Unbelievable. As part of its third quarter earnings, AT&T announced that it had activated 5.2 million of the 14.1 million iPhones. The Apple uh, quarter ending on September 30th uh, posted those numbers as long as a number of others. The revenue for AT&T also set a record, topping $31.5 billion, thanks in part to a a quarter of the iPhone purchasers coming over to AT&T to do so. So that was one quarter of those $5.2 million that were brand new to AT&T. In all, AT&T sold 8 million postpaid devices, increasing its customer base by 2.6 million, topping out at 92.8 million total subscribers. Further, postpaid wireless revenue per user was $62.84. That's up 21 cents from the previous quarter and over $1 since last year. AT&T on Friday has new, announced new pay-as-you-go data plans for the international traveler and netbook and laptop crowd. The netbook, excuse me, the new plans cover 30 days of service and can be purchased with a credit card or billed to the account of a postpaid subscriber. The plans include uh, the Data Connect Pass Global 20 megs for $24.99, the Data Connect Global Pass 50 megs for $60, the 100 meg plan for $120, and the 200 meg plan for $200. So decent rates if you're going to be traveling internationally. Uh, and very good, though, for those that uh, don't have current AT&T service and just want to get it for when they travel. The Boy Genius Report was sent a leaked internal guide for the eventual move over to LTE-compatible SIM cards uh, for AT&T. The guide states that with the upcoming rollout of the LTE data on the AT&T network, they will be transitioning our, their current SIM cards over to those that support LTE devices. It's important to note that the correct important to use the correct sim for the appropriate device though these are the full mini sims these are not the micro sims that are used by the ipad or the iphone and at&t has yet to release a rollout schedule for the new network so we'll see what this means 
At an internal Q4 kickoff meeting on Monday, Verizon announced new data plans that will be going live on the 28th of the month. The plans for 3G smartphones will now have two tiers. First off, a $15 per month plan gives you 150 megabytes of data and $15 for each 150 megabyte chunk over that. Uh, for $30 a month, you can stick with your unlimited data plan. So there is no five or two or any other gigabyte limit. They're sticking with that $30 for unlimited data. Mobile broadband and 3G tablets will offer the following new plans. $80 a month for 10 gigs, $50 a month for 5 gigs, $35 a month for 3 gigs, and $20 a month for 1 gigabyte of data. Overages for these plans are $10 per, uh, per gigabyte, with the exception of the lowest end plan, uh, which is $20 per gig. Uh, by way of a gubernatorial press event, Verizon has chosen select selected West Virginia metro areas as the first to receive 4G data speeds throughout its uh, new LTE network. On Wednesday, October 27th, Senator Rockefeller and Governor Manchin will join Verizon CTO Tony Malone to announce plans to de- deploy the 4G network throughout 10 West Virginia cities. So check out the press release here if you're in West Virginia and you want to see if you're in one of those areas. Verizon Friday announced its Q3 highlights, touting revenue increases and customer additions. For the quarter ending on the 30th of the month, the wireless division announced 997,000 total net customer additions and a continued low retail postpaid churn of 1.07%. 93.2 million total customers are now on the Verizon network. That is just 400,000 ahead of AT&T's 92.8 million. Uh, mean, uh, keep in mind, we just uh, talked about that just a minute ago, that they added 2.6 million customers in the quarter. Uh, so definitely uh, catching up to Verizon very quickly. Also, Verizon announcing 6%, uh, 6% a 6% increase in total revenues from Q3 29 and a 7.7% increase in service revenues. Data revenues were up 26.3%. The average revenue per user grew 1.8% over the third quarter to $51.99. And finally, Verizon said customers sent and received more than 183 billion text messages, 3.8 billion picture messages, and completed nearly 22 million music and video downloads. That was all during the third quarter alone. In a press conference from Clearwire and Sprint on Monday, the companies announced that 4G services will be launching in the cities of New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles before the end of the year. According to the release, New York City will launch in less than two weeks, going live on November 1st. Los Angeles will follow on December 1st, and San Francisco in late December. Clear stores will be opening in these markets following the launch dates. The release of also noted that WiMAX will be live in Denver, Miami, Cincinnati, and Cleveland before the end of the year. Sprint on Tuesday said that some customers were lost during early deployments of its WiMAX network due to spotty coverage. Matt Carter, the president of 4G for Sprint, said that we lost some customers in early deployments, though in recent months the coverage of WiMAX within deployment markets has reached the acceptable range. The statement comes nearly two years after the company rolled out its first 4G services in Baltimore, Maryland. Plans were recently confirmed to bring that WiMAX service to Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York. Now, to hear the president of 4G say that the deployment within the markets has reached acceptable range almost seems unacceptable, doesn't it? Uh, That seems completely unacceptable. Uh, You know, now we're kind of in the acceptable range. Not saying we're in the fabulous or great, but that's a very, very shockingly bad, um, uh, you know, admission there. They, They really should have focused on actually getting things rolled out 
maybe more blanket coverage in each city as opposed to just kind of let's throw a few towers here and there and get spotty coverage. You know, like what, what I've kind of witnessed here in the Twin Cities because I looked real, they've got very, very detailed coverage maps available and it's just spotty. I mean, I have coverage maybe about a quarter mile from me, but then anywhere else around me, there's no coverage at all. And in areas I work, there's weak coverage and the, there's, you know, any area outside there, there's no coverage. It's very, very spotty. So it makes it not, uh, not, I don't want to get it. I don't I have zero interest in, in getting 4G from Sprint because the coverage just isn't there. Well, and as we know, Sprint and Clearwire are partnered up so that when they roll out a new city, both uh, whether you purchase it from Clear or you purchase it from Sprint, you're going to be getting virtually the same network. Um, and this week, speaking at the 4G World Trade Show, the chief commercial officer of Clearwire said that they had recorded peak download speeds on an LTE network in recent testing that brought them up to 90 megabits per second. Very interesting to see that they're actually testing out LTE and being very public about their testing of it with the WiMAX that they're rolling out. Anyway, the testing occurred in the Phoenix, Arizona market with a 20 by 20 megahertz network configuration. Upload speeds on that configuration clocked in at about 30 megabits per second. So they're doing pretty good with their their tests with LTE. Um, So who knows what that means, uh, if it's going to mean that they're going to eventually do a conversion over to LTE or start a brand new network, who knows. Uh, But that's what Clearwire has been up to this week. Virgin Mobile Wednesday announcing a new plan branded Palo to its prepaid offerings. The new plan is $30 per month, gives the user 1,500 voice minutes, 500 text messages, and 10 megs of data. That's on participating phones. Check Virgin Mobile's website for more details. Timo News on Monday said that they'd received word that the T-Mobile would soon be offering a new low-price data tier for smartphone users starting in late November A $10 per month plan will offer 200 megabytes of data for those that don't want to pay for $30 for unlimited. No word yet from T-Mobile, though, on any sort of announcement. T-Mobile also this week announced their uh, formal transition from President Robert Dotson over to new President Philip Hum as the uh, nation's fourth largest carrier's top executive took place. The transition moves Dotson into the role of vice chairman of the board of directors. Hum, the former CEO of T-Mobile Deutschland, will take over the operations here in the U.S. Mobile satellite network operator Terrastar filed Tuesday for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection after rumors about the filing leaked out earlier in the week. The company currently has more than $1.5 billion in outstanding liabilities, and the filing will bring uh, bring them a restructuring, which will likely uh, bring them into the mix with Echostar uh, for more financing to keep the operations going. Terrastar had launched the Genus device, the first smartphone to run on AT&T's GSM and UMTS network, with fallback on the satellite connection when needed. Metro PCS Tuesday announced its LTE network would be expanding to a third city, Detroit, Michigan. The Las Vegas and Dallas, or like the Las Vegas and Dallas markets, customers can purchase the Samsung Craft handset to take advantage of the 4G network. Service plans range from $55 to $60. Typically known for its unlimited voice and data plans, Metro PCS teaming up with Walmart for prepaid packages offering the following monthly offerings. $10 for 200 voice minutes and unlimited incoming texts, $20 for 500 minutes and 500 megs of data, $30 for 1,000 minutes and 100 megs of data. The the buy-the-minute packages are only available for non-smartphone devices and are exclusively sold through Walmart. 
Pocket uh, Metro PCS announcing Friday their acquisition and the assets of Pocket Communications in the New England area. Terms were not mentioned, but the deal was made to allow Metro PCS to de- deploy their network in the region, including the use of the AWS Spectrum for LTE coverage. Pocket Communications had planned to cease operations at the end of October. If you're looking for a way to help support The Cell Phone Junkie, you can join us for The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. It's our bi-monthly premium podcast. Only $5 per month or $45 a year. We'll get you in on the in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link for TCPJ Unlocked. And of course, a big thank you to everyone that already subscribes to the show. Hopping into devices, Boy Genius reported on Monday that the one of their Apple sources had given them information about the upcoming and yet unreleased versions of the iPhone. Model 3,2, the version in which the world is assuming will be a CDMA iPhone, has just hit the AP testing stage. This is the last stage in the development process before the actual release, meaning the hardware is final and the software is nearly there. The tipster told BGR that the device contains a SIM slot, though, which would mean a couple of things. First, it can mean that a refresh of the iPhone 4 is coming mid-cycle and that both the CDMA and HSPA carriers would have the same new hardware. Secondly, it could mean just a CDMA device with uh, HSPA roaming capabilities, as done with many other Verizon devices. Or third, it could mean that there is no CDMA device at all, rather a refresh of the current HSPA model, fixing current issues with the phone. Further, the source, claim, source claims that the fifth-generation iPhone has reached the engineering verification stage, one that typically is hit six to eight months prior to the release of new hardware. So here's what I think is happening. I think we've got a CDMA iPhone with a SIM slot on it that will allow for global roaming. That's what's going on with the 3,2 device. And then the fifth-generation iPhone is what's going to be released on HSPA carriers sometime uh, probably June-ish, like they always do. Um, I don't see this as being anything, you know, super strange or anything like that that's what i think is going to happen yeah i mean most likely i mean i suppose they could come out with lte i mean that would be great but it probably not given apple's kind of history with with that sort of technology i mean they do sometimes surprise people by jumping ahead you know like the new screen but that's uh i I, will just really have to wait and see what they decide to do we got less than two months here at least we think less than two months before we should know something uh, next, HP and Palm Tuesday announcing the Palm Pre 2, the latest WebOS device. Specifications including a 1 gigahertz processor, 5 megapixel camera, 512 megs of RAM, and the uh, and WebOS 2.0. The overall design of the device has not changed, as the device still has a 3.1-inch 320x480 screen with a portrait sliding QWERTY keyboard. The device will be available on SFR in France on Friday, October 22nd, and will be hitting Verizon here in the U.S. in the coming months. Previously listed as a mid-November launch, T-Mobile announced via its Twitter page Thursday that Windows Phone's 7, the Windows Phone 7 HD 7 would be going on sale November 8th. This is the official launch date for the new OS from Microsoft here in the U.S., and T-Mobile will join AT&T as the only carriers to have devices with the new OS at the launch date. Sprint on Monday announcing the new BlackBerry-style 9670 smartphone available starting on October 31st for $100 on contract. The style comes with BlackBerry 6, a full QWERTY keyboard revealed under a clamshell form factor. It will be available in steel gray and royal purple. Some of the features of the device include a 5-megapixel camera, tri-mode Wi-Fi, as in 802.11 BGNN, 
512 megs of RAM, 8 gigabyte uh, micro SD card is included, uh, BlackBerry App World, uh, also a GPS uh, and Bluetooth, of course, visual voicemail, an advanced media player, uh, also DataViz Documents to Go that comes with all Sprint devices, and the suite of Sprint applications like Sprint Football Live, NASCAR, Sprint Cup Mobile, and Sprint TV. Specifications on the device include the BlackBerry 6 operating system, uh, a quad band, uh, or excuse me, a dual band network, the 800 and 1900 megahertz CDMA EVDO Rev-A network. So that's an important important point that it is Rev-A. And it does have an external two-inch QVGA screen that's 240 by 320. And uh, then the the external display is, uh, I believe it's uh, th- 640 by 480, correct? The internal one or the external one? Sorry, the, the, uh, no, the internal one is, I got my numbers mixed up here, Joey. The internal display is that 2.7 inch screen. That's 360 by 400. Yes. The internal display, ex, ex, I, see, see, I think it's <laughs> external. Help me out here, Joey. The external one is the two, the, the two inch, 240 by 320. Okay. And the internal one is the, two and a, the 2.7 with the 360 by 400. Okay, and the battery itself is an 1150 milliamp hour battery. You got to be excited about this one. In fact, Joey may be getting a new phone this week. Is he not? I I, I think I will be. Um, it, it may depend on some certain certain review, possibly that could be coming <laughs> by 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 you know other um, you know cell phone reviewers out there that sometimes they happen. But uh, I am in line for. I've got a basically what it is is a reservation for an in store pickup. Um, it's, it's kind of like an appointment. So it's not a pre-order, which is kind of annoying. I just wish they would have shipped it to me. I would have gladly waited till Monday to just have it done and over with, uh, instead of having to go visit a store. But, uh, I guess that's uh, what I'm going to have to take to get it, uh, early. Well, we're, uh, we're really hoping that, that you get your device or I'm really hoping you get your device. Uh, the 31st is the time that Sprint Premier customers, uh, can pick it up, which is what you are. Otherwise everyone else, I guess, is waiting in line for this one, right? Um, you know, I, it's, it, 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 you can schedule a pre-order. You didn't have to be premier, but it was one day difference. Uh, it was like Monday you could schedule, uh, this past Monday you could schedule your appointment if you were a premier customer. Uh, but it, you know, actually I've got premier customer status on two different accounts and actually didn't get the email. I just did a Google search and ended up finding the link for it. Um, it, it, it but it was available for the general public the next day to pre-order it. So everybody will be able to pick it up on the 31st. It's uh it's a great looking device. We'll see uh we'll see how it looks here once we get it in our hands and get to do some hands-on testing with it. Uh it does have looks like a very very similar keyboard to that of uh the Torch. So we'll see uh that's kind of what I'm interested in seeing side by side is how that's going to look. Yeah, not quite the bold and uh you know, not it, it won't be that it won't be that good as my guess, but it'll be I think it'll be fairly close. A lot of people hate on the clamshell design, though. They're oh, saying, they're just 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 ragging on it. But it's a great. I think it's a great design, especially for those that don't want to have to lock the keyboard all the time, right? Absolutely. I mean, since BlackBerry doesn't provide the ability to auto lock the keyboard like I was so accustomed to with the the Sprint Centro, I mean, in many ways, this this bold. Um, if I didn't have this pocket holster sleeve that I keep it in in my pocket all the time. Uh, I would I would have already thrown this phone across the room and smashed it because it, it would drive me nuts having it pocket dial all the time because you physically have to remember to hit the lock every single time you shut this thing off. And if it's already been shut off, the lock button doesn't work. It turns the thing on and makes it even worse. So it's it's baffling design. Uh, they, it's so um, 
non-intuitive. I, I just can't believe they, they missed that setting where it auto locks after, you know, 30 seconds or auto lock when the screen shuts down. So um, having a clamshell just avoids that situation entirely because you know it's closed. You can't put it in your pocket open. You know that it's not going to pocket dial anyone. I'm really excited for it. This, of course, not the first flip style from BlackBerry. They did have clamshell device in the past, the Pearl Flip, though this one is the first with the full QWERTY keyboard on it. And in fact, this is the first smartphone ever that's a clamshell with a QWERTY. You can't, you wouldn't, I suppose you, well, you could count like the i500, no? Nope, that was a 12 key. Okay. All right. No, Very interesting. Re- yeah. And, and I like the fact that you can read your messages, text messages, and email from the external screen without having to open it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a. I think it's a great design. We'll see in implementation how this works. Um, nonetheless, we're just very excited for Joey. I mean, we're talking about a, a second new phone in 2010. Holy cow! Wow. I know we're moving ahead, even though it's still <laughs> BlackBerry and BlackBerry Six. So it's basically not much different. But right. you know, hey, I am excited that you know since I have moved to the BlackBerry platform, I've got a you know the Bez server running, so it's got everything up to date. Just so happens to be the first clamshell smartphone with qwerty just is a blackberry on sprint no less how how could it work out any better than that that's right it's uh it should be great so another blackberry news the blackberry bold 9780 launching on bell mobility this is very similar to the 9700 with the 2.44 inch hvga display with a 480 by 360 resolution blackberry 6 wi-fi gps and Bluetooth, as well as a 5-megapixel camera and 512 megs of RAM. Tri-band UMTS, quad-band GSM. Contract pricing was not disclosed, though Bell Mobility says that they will be selling it for $500 in either a black or white configuration. And another BlackBerry news, Bell Mobility Tuesday announcing the bold 9780 from RIM coming to the Canadian carrier. Beginning on November 2nd, the device will be available in either black or white with the following specs. A 2.44-inch HVGA display with 480 by 360 resolution, BlackBerry 6, Wi-Fi, GPS, and Bluetooth, 5-megapixel camera with flash, 512 megs of RAM, tri-band UMTS, and quad-band GSM and Edge. Uh, contract pricing was not disclosed, but the unsubsidized version will sell for $500. HTC Monday announced that the European release of the Gratia handheld device, which is identical to the AT&T Aria, will go on sale in Europe. Uh, the phone will feature an Android 2.2 uh, operating system, 3.2-inch screen, 5-megapixel camera, and weigh only 4.06 ounces. The phone will be released in November. Details of the yet unreleased T-Mobile MyTouch 4G snuck out on Tuesday. The device will have HSPA+, hence the 4G branding. Android 2.2, 3.8-inch WVGA screen, 1 gigahertz Snapdragon processor, Wi-Fi B, G, and N, Bluetooth, GPS, 5-megapixel rear camera, 720p video recording and LED flash, as well as a front-facing camera for video chat and micro SD card for support. Uh, the specification sheet also mentions Wi-Fi calling will be supported, though we're not really sure if that's going to happen. We keep hearing this Wi-Fi calling on Android devices coming to T-Mobile, but we've yet to really see anything uh, official. T-Mobile announcing on Wednesday that it's uh, via its Twitter account that the Motorola Defy would be coming on November 3rd. The rugged device runs Android, 5-megapixel camera, and a 3.7-inch scratch-resistant screen. It also has Wi-Fi, GPS, and Bluetooth. It will be $100 with contract. 
Verizon announcing a new version of its network extender FemtoCell on Monday, providing access to 3G data services as well as voice. The new version will allow voice, text, and data services to function on the product, and once attached to a cable or DSL connection, it provides a range of up to 40 feet. There will be no charge to use the device with a customer's existing plan. The hardware will cost $250. Sprint on Tuesday announcing two computers to its 4G portfolio with the Dell Inspiron Mini 10 and the 11Z Notebook. Both devices will have a dual-mode 3G and 4G radio embedded, offering connectivity while on the go without the need for additional hardware. The Mini 10 will be available starting on October 31st for free after $100 mail-in rebate and two-year contract. The 11Z will be $149 with the same rebate and agreement. Two different plans are available for the service. First is a 3G, 4G plan for $60 per month, excluding surcharges and taxes. That includes unlimited 4G data and 5 gigs of 3G data, as well as 300 megs of domestic roaming. Uh, Additional pricing or additional costs for uh, on-network usage are $0.05 per megabyte and $0.25 per meg when you're off-network. The plan is eligible for existing dual-mode bundled pricing. The 3G only entry-level price is $40 per month, which excludes surcharges and taxes, and includes 500 megs of 3G data per month, and uh, additional megs on top of that are $0.05 per megabyte. Specifications are a uh, Dell Inspiron Mini 10 on that netbook. It's got a 1.6 gigahertz Atom processor, Windows 7, a 10-inch screen, and it's three pounds in weight with a one gig, uh, one gig of memory and 250 gig hard drive. The Dell Inspiron 11Z notebook has got an Intel Core i3 1.2 gigahertz processor with Windows 7, 11.6 inch screen, 3.4 pounds, two gigs of memory, 250 gig hard drive, and integrated graphics. Japanese carrier KDDI announced a new Sony Ericsson device, the S006, and that would be coming to their network, taking advantage of Sony's new 16.4 megapixel CMOS camera sensor. The device also has ISO settings up to 12,800 and runs a 1 gigahertz Snapdragon processor with a 3.3-inch screen, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, GPS, and is exclusive to the KDDI network. Verizon on Wednesday announcing sales of the Samsung Galaxy Tab uh, that they'd be starting at the uh, the device will go on sale on November 11th. The Android 2.2 base tablet has a Cortex A8 1 gigahertz processor, 7-inch display, and 4,000 milliamp hour battery. Monthly data access plans start at 20 bucks a month. The device will be $600 without a contract. Some of the major media outlets and tech blogs on Wednesday started posting reviews and impressions of the new Windows Phone 7 operating system. And until now, the majority of the information that we've seen on the OS has been largely positive. This week, though, outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, the Associated Press, and Gadget and Mobile Crunch uh, gave more realistic views of the OS. Some were hesitant about the timing and delay of the current smartphone or in the, into the smartphone arena. Others were concerned about the number of applications available at launch. Quoting some of them, Walt Mossberg of the Wall Street Journal said that the interface was novel and attractive, but noted that it was missing several key features, including copy and paste, visual voicemail, three-party app multitasking, and video calling. Mossberg isn't ready to recommend Windows Phone 7 as on par with the iPhone or Android. The Associated Press uh, technology writer Rachel Metz said Windows Phone 7 was pleasantly easy to use because of its tight consumer focus, calling it good, but not phenomenal. 
Metz doubts that Microsoft's innovations will be enough to sway consumers who have already been exposed to ads for the iPhone and Android for years. And finally, Engadget author Joshua Topolsky found that there were holes in the OS and that the OS was a good year behind market leaders right now. Uh, he reported that third-party apps, especially news readers, were found to be crashing quite often. Windows Phone 7 doesn't exactly have the fit and finish of a fully realized product. Windows Phone 7 was released on Thursday in parts of Europe and will be coming to the U.S. through AT&T and T-Mobile on November 8th. Verizon Monday announcing new tools available exclusively for Android users. The Express services will give Android Android users access to account information such as call logs, billing, and friends and family management directly from their handset. The services will be available from the entire for the entire Droid line, plus the Devour, Ally, and Fascinate. T-Mobile on Tuesday began to uh, began pushing Android 2.2 out for the MyTouch 3G. The update includes a number of improved features that will be rolled out in waves. The process should be complete by the end of October. As part of the Back to the Mac event on Wednesday, Apple announcing that FaceTime would be coming to Mac OS X. The application will allow for iPhone or iPod touch devices to conduct video chats with each other and with other computers. The application is available as a beta release via apple.com slash FaceTime. GPS company TomTom and handset maker HTC announced a new partnership this week, providing customers with an innovative and natural navigation experience. Taking a direct shot at Google Navigation, the announcement Wednesday brings TomTom Maps to the new HTC location solution, creating what the companies are calling a zero-weight navigation experience. The service is coming initially to the HTC Desire HD and Z in Europe and Asia. Well, here's a blast from the past. Music player Winamp releasing a beta version of its Android application on Wednesday. The multimedia player has widget and home screen controls, as well as syncing of music over Wi-Fi to your device. Not bad for something that really whips the llamas. Well, you know. Rim announcing on Wednesday that the BlackBerry App World was coming to the desktop. The web store found at appworld.blackberry.com slash web store lets users browse and purchase applications from their computer. And apps are synchronized over to the device once it's plugged in. Android Central posted on Friday that a next major release of Android may be version 2.3, citing a mention in the Google Issues repository. In answer to a question on connection, connections to a corporate Wi-Fi network said that Android 2.3 is a major release and this patch will be available then. Further, a large gingerbread man statue has now appeared on the lawn outside Google headquarters, and as writer Jerry Hildenbrand points out, the statues outside Google's headquarters for future releases arrive to the campus within a week or so of the official OS announcement for Google. Look for additional information coming soon. Well, I'm going to be looking for desserts in front of the Google campus from now on. <laughs> well, they've got the whole you know lineup of them. It's, it's cupcake, donut, uh eclair froyo now gingerbread next to the ham sandwich joey that mm, ham sandwich mm. I, it's what a way to announce a, a new os version by sticking big desserts in front of your building it's quite silly to, but it is very original very original it's what google does anyway like i said we should be seeing an announcement within probably the next week or so an official announcement that is from google And finally, in software, Sprint announcing this week that a software update would be pushed out to users of the Samsung Moment. It will fix a 911 call restriction after a modem crash related to airplane mode. The update will come to users over the air. 
Questions and comments this week. First is a question from Antonio. He says, hey, Mickey and Joey, I've been a longtime listener to your show and really enjoy it. Keep up the great work. My question is about the HTC Wildfire that I've just bought for my wife. Currently, all her contacts are stored on an old Palm M505 PDA, which we have had for many years and which I incidentally still works just fine. Uh, we have the Palm desktop software on our Windows 7 computer, so we're able to sync and back up the contacts between the Palm and the PC. Is there a way of getting those contacts into the HTC Wildfire without having manually having to enter them in one by one? In the manual, it says that it can sync the Wildfire with Microsoft Outlook or Outlook Express, as I have both of these programs on the desktop. If I could somehow transfer the contacts to the, from the Palm desktop software to Outlook or to the Express version, then I could simply sync back to the Wildfire. Any suggestions on how I can achieve this would be appreciated. Regards, Antonio from Sydney, Australia. All right, Joey, you are the Palm guru. So for the longest time, I know you used your Palm device without um, enterprise integration or exchange integration where you just synced it with your computer when you plugged it in. Now, did you ever use the Palm desktop? And if you didn't use the Palm desktop, how did you go about um, synchronizing your contacts? Yeah, in fact, I I used the Palm desktop very, very, very briefly, way back in probably in about 1997, but I have had it installed off and on um, and you can, if you do have the data in the Palm desktop, you can export it to um, a, a, a different formats. I don't know what those formats are because I don't have it installed uh, anymore. But I, I'm sure you can export at least to a CSV file. It's a comma separated value file or CVS. And you can get your contacts out that way where then you go to the exact opposite in Outlook and import them into Outlook um, with that file. I think Palm Desktop even has a export using the Outlook file format. So I believe that's in the file menu, so it should be pretty easy to do. Um, once you get them into Outlook, yes, then you can get them back into BlackBerry. So it's uh, it actually shouldn't be too hard to, to do this, but I don't think uh, Outlook Express will do it for you because I don't think that includes contacts. Yeah, um, and you said BlackBerry. It's, this is actually Windows Mobile um, on the wild. Windows Mobile, okay, yeah, okay. Um, so, okay, so, but here's, I had another question though too. Is there a way to just synchronize directly from the Palm device to Outlook? Did you ever do that? Yes, absolutely. That's part of the f- the functionality that's built into all of the later versions. I mean, up for the past ten years, you can go right to Outlook, sync right to Outlook from your uh, your Hot Sync Manager. Okay, so Hot Sync Manager, and I guess instead of use, it's there's some sort of conduit that gets installed, correct? If you right-click the Hot Sync uh, tray icon manager that's in the bottom, you can choose uh, which um, conduit you want to choose uh, to select for the syncing. So instead of Palm Desktop for your calendar, you change it to Outlook. And uh, same with the contacts, tasks, whatever other ones you can choose for Outlook um, from your Palm. So once you sync them, uh, to Outlook from the, the Hot Sync Manager directly. Once you run a Hot Sync, all that data will be in your Outlook. It shouldn't be all that hard. In fact, I, I would say that would probably be the best way to do it would be to do that sync directly from the M505 over to Outlook, though the export will work as well, especially if you don't have a whole lot of uh, you know notes, values, and, and weird fields of information, because sometimes when you do an export and then an import, that stuff can maybe not line up properly. So if you if you have it, uh, if it's at all possible, if you still have the, uh, the, the hot sync utility on there, that's, I guess that would be my recommendation as the way to go. No, and you definitely want to go to um, uh, Palm's website and download the newest version of the Palm desktop, sure. which includes the Hot Sync Manager, which will have the the best um, and latest integration for Outlook already built into it. And it'll provide, like you said, the best uh, sync method to get all the fields to line up correctly. And it's 
it works really well. I did this for years. I was a Palm guy for a long time and, and no problems at all. And, and Joey for even longer. So yeah, forever. You should have no problems whatsoever with this. Next, a question from Jeff. He says, hey, Mickey, it appears AT&T is sending letters to all tell subscribers on the transitioning that's starting early next year. I told my dad to go with Virgin Mobile with an all unlimited plan for $25 a month with five gigs of data and Android and ditch the carrier contract forever. But let me know what recommendations you have for the phones listed below that you would think would be good recommendations. And the devices that uh, were listed were the Samsung A777, the Samsung Strive, the Samsung Eternity 2, the Samsung Rugby 2, the Nokia 6350, and the Pantech Link. All right, so I have three recommendations for you depending on the usage scenario that your father is going to use. Number one, if he's just going to be using it for voice and maybe some light texting, I would recommend going with the Nokia 6350. It will hopefully be a, an easy device for him to use, a nice interface, and uh, should not be. it should give him uh, great call quality and great signal strength, as most Nokias do on the GSM side. If he's looking for a portrait slider, you got to go with the Strive uh, by Samsung. That's a, great, uh, that's a great device if you're looking for a slide-out QWERTY keyboard on it, and that's in the portrait orientation. And if you're looking for something with uh, just a touchscreen on it, go with the Eternity 2. This one looks like probably the best of the choices that he has. If you've got uh, any more information or uh, maybe trying to narrow it down a little bit more, uh, give me uh, some more information about the use uh, case scenario for your father and also uh, what features that he's looking for. And we can try and make uh, some even more informed recommendations on what we would say to go with. And finally, a question from Jim. Jim says, I live in a 2,500-square-foot all-metal home. Roof, exterior walls, metal-studded interior walls, everything metal. Outside the home, I have three to four bars of AT&T service, and inside, it's zero to one at best. I live 4.3 miles from an AT&T tower in rural Oklahoma, and the service at the tower is Edge. It may be a few years before 3G is even available. I'm looking for a signal booster, and I'm willing to spend up to $600 for a system. My question is, of all the systems that you have tested or have knowledge of, which brand or model do you think would be best for my solution? Thanks, and best regards, Jim. All right, Jim. Well, I have tested out three so far. I've got I've done the ZBoost one, the ZBoost YX510, and the Wilson DT. I'm gonna put links in the show notes under question from Jim, so you can click through and read about my uses usage of each of these. Though my feeling on them is that while they seem to work well in the immediate vicinity of the amplification antenna, the claims of the thousand plus square feet of coverage seem to be a bit much in almost every situation with these devices. Um, when I'm talking about these these phones that are these these uh, booster systems that I've used, usually I'm testing them out in my office, which happens to be in an area where I don't get any coverage on any 1900 megahertz carriers. So it's a good use case scenario to try uh, to try these things out. My office is also only a hundred square feet, so I'm I'm not looking at trying to cover a very large area. Recently, of course, and earlier in the show, we talked about the ZBoost 1, and my use with this uh, really came down to having relatively good signal outside of the house for Sprint, um, but then it would, it, you know, putting it on a window so we'll rebroadcast it inside. Though you seem to be talking about um, something that is going to, this is not going to work for you. You've got a much larger house. This would maybe be a good, okay solution well, number one, if you were on Sprint, you're on AT&T. This is only Sprint and Metro PCS, though. Um, but it would only be good if you're looking to cover, say, a single room. 
Yeah, you know, so the 600 price limit here may be something even more professional than this may be in order because yeah. everything's all metal inside, which of course just blocks the signal as you've discovered. Um, so even these, maybe these, these may be too consumerish for the need here because of the distance away from the tower and from the construction. And I found a, a good one here, I think is a good one. It's called the Wilson uh, DB Pro, and it's at the $599 price point, which I know is a little it is right at the top end there. Um, I, I have not had a chance to check this one out, but I, I may try and do so. Um, it could take a, a few weeks or a couple of months for me to get one from Wilson, but I, I'd be willing to try it out if you're interested in, in me doing so before um, you decide to make the investment in it. Otherwise, do some searching to read people that have done reviews on it. But Wilson has made good products. I, I had good luck with the DT, um, but that one I think says up to, I think, 2,000 square feet on that one as far as the coverage that it provides, and, and that's not going to do it for you for your entire home. So then a whole different approach here, uh, you know, AT&T doesn't have the uh, a Pico cell uh, booster available, do they? Uh, yeah, they do. They have the AT&T micro cell. The so micro cell. Yeah. That I, well, that, see, and that's the thing. That would absolutely work. That, of course, assumes that he's got a high-speed data connection. At his exactly. House. And if the, that is the case, then that, of course, would be the solution I would look for uh, or, or try, you know, try to even try out because I'm sure there's a return policy on it. Um, as long as there is a high-speed, uh, low-latency internet connection available. And I believe those are a few hundred dollars. Um, though, it depends on... See, here's the other thing. You need to probably call AT&T and say, hey, I know you have a microcell available if you'd like to... Uh, um, you know, And I, I have very poor service at my house here. Is there any way that I can get, get one of these to, to use here to try and help out? Um, and, and sometimes, you know, they may be willing to send it out to you. I've read a lot of reports of people who have said that they've had these devices sent out to them. Now, whether or not that's, you know, fully true, I don't know. Um, but you, you can always give it a shot. And, and that's a good point. I'm, I'm happy Joey brought that up because I, that hadn't even crossed my mind. I was totally going down the signal boosting route there. So, um, yeah, that would definitely, uh, that would definitely work. But if you do decide to, to do the signal boost route, um, once you try one, make sure you, you, that you know that it works before fully committing to the install and to keeping it. Do a temporary installation and make sure that over the course of a few days and nights, you know, the atmospheric conditions are not affecting anything in your, your regular use, whether it's through the 3G or phone calls or text messages or any, anything like that, because it, you know, clouds, trees, wind, a cat, you know, there's all these different things that can, uh, that could affect the, the, you know, how these things function. And so you want to make sure that if you're spending this money, you're not drilling into the side of your house and, and, uh, you know, running holes and stuff like that. You want to try and make as temporary of an install as possible before committing to do it, uh, you know, and making sure that it works. So just a, just a friendly recommendation from someone who may have done some stupid things in installing signal boosters in the past. That would be me. If you have any questions or comments, you can get in touch with us at, uh, you can get, let's see, you can give us a call. Give us a call 206-203-3734, or you can send us an email questions at the cell phone junkie.com. If you prefer to text us, you can send a text to 775-773-TCPJ. That's 8275. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I am twitter.com slash TCPJ underscore Mickey. Joey is twitter.com slash TCPJ underscore Joey. And each of the stories that you've heard on today's show can be found at twitter.com slash cell phone junkie. And that will show you everything that we post at the site. And if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com slash the cell phone junkie. 
So, Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.